what is going on, Gator Nation? Welcome into the week seven episode of the We Are the Boys podcast. And I'll be totally upfront with you, probably not going to be a fun one. Um, I'm sure that's no surprise to anybody. Definitely not. Yeah. Sure, it's not a surprise, um, given the current state of Gator football. Yeah. Um, I mean, in the more immediate sense, in the aftermath of a loss, kind of an, an inexplicable loss to LSU. At home. Um, at home, after after we had gone into their barn last year, beat them in such miraculous fashion in a game that wasn't even supposed to be in Baton Rouge, and then you get them at home. Yeah. And they're they're coming off this loss to Troy. They're just, they, granted, yeah, they got a lot of guys back that didn't play in that Troy game. Um, right. Darius, Darius guys comes to mind, but yeah, um, seemed like a team that that we should be able to handle if we could generate any semblance of. Offense. Offensive rhythm or identity. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the only good thing about about the game was the Tom Petty tribute. That was like yeah the best thing that yeah, happened exactly. in the Swamp Ball game, which you know it should have been a an added bonus, not the main event. You know. <laughs> it was yeah. It turned out to be the the lone um, the lone bright spot really, uh, and you know you'd like there to at least be some bright spots related to the game of football. But, um, yeah, the Tom Petty tribute was incredible. Uh, win or lose, the Gators couldn't spoil that one for me. That was a, a special thing to be a part of. And as we touched on last week, Keenan was in the swamp for the first time in several years. Uh, unfortunately, the on-field product was not better. Um, so let's just go ahead and dive right into that and start digesting that. Yeah. I'll yeah. let you uh, take the reins. Yeah, I mean, thing that – jumps out to me is you know mac talks about tempo in practice and oh the guys had good practice look good tempo like we ran 53 plays total that game it makes no sense to me how you can run that little plays at home when you say that you know the guys have good tempo in practice like where's that tempo in a game you know there's there's teams that are putting up 53 plays in a half um and we're not at that level, but I mean, with how inept our offense is, we need more than 53 plays to get points on the board. So got to figure out a way to fix that. Um, I know I, I said last week that I wanted to see more touches for Tony. You know, he only had six touches on the day. Um, granted, he wasn't as effective with his touches as maybe he normally is, but he wasn't bad either. Six touches for 52 yards. That's still, you know, putting up some pretty decent numbers per touch. Um, that's almost a first down every touch. It's, that's yeah, over it's, eight it's, yards. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, so I just, I don't understand what we're doing on offense. I mean, obviously we're trying to grind the run because um, Davis had 14 attempts, P. Ryan 12, Tony 6. Um, but, but to have a passing game where we're only throwing 16 attempts like I just don't understand what's happening like what is the game plan going in um you know we basically attempted double uh rushes than we did passing which is not really balanced offense and it's not like Felipe wasn't playing well passing the ball either I mean I think he I I mean he misses receivers and I think was it you that showed me um that play where it was basically a fourth down play um, and was it Mark Thompson out of the backfield and they did kind of like a, a back-to-back comparison of Luke Del Rio running the play and Felipe running the play. Yeah, so Fli- Florida ran on fourth down late in the game um, yeah. when they had to get a conversion to to have a chance to get down the field and at least give Eddie a shot to win it with his leg. Um, they ran what by all accounts and looking at the film is the exact same play that they ran to convert that critical fourth down against Kentucky mm-hmm. um, on what I believe was the game-winning drive. And that's yeah. the play where Luke Del Rio kind of had to escape the pocket, was rolling out to his right, looked back across his body, made a throw across his body to Mark Thompson, who had just found the soft spot in the defense, sat down. Mm-hmm. Um, he had slipped out of the backfield after he had pass-blocking responsibility, picked up the first down. I'm Pretty sure it was the exact same play. It didn't develop yeah, quite looked, the same because Felipe. It looked the same. Yeah, to me. Felipe <laughs> stayed in the pocket, and quite frankly, the, the line did a good job of creating a pocket for him and giving him mm-hmm. time. Um, but 
Felipe kind of rushed the play and tried to basically thread the needle to, Br- to Brandon Powell, which I, I get he's yeah. kind of more of a gunslinger's mentality. And there might have been a split second where that that gap was open to hit Powell. But yeah. um, he obviously didn't get it there. And part, really the reason he didn't get it there is because he stared at him the whole time. If he had looked that linebacker off, because it's the linebacker who ended up getting over and getting a hand on the ball, um, if right. he had looked the linebacker to his right and then come back and, and you know, sling one to the middle, he might have looked him off enough to, to open things up in front of Brandon Powell. But he didn't do that because that's not what he does. He stares at guys. Um, right. Meanwhile, Mark Thompson had slipped out of the backfield on the delayed route, was so much more wide open than he was against Kentucky. Pro- yeah. You look at it, and you know, granted, guys can adjust and recover, but it was going for at least 15 to 20 yards. If not taking it to the house, he probably was going to have to make one guy miss. Um, yeah. I mean, it was definitely getting into field goal range for for uh, Eddie P. If if Felipe had looked that way, yep. um, so I think we can probably tweet that out, right? For for everyone that's listening, if you didn't get a chance to catch it, we'll tweet it out. So check out check on Twitter tomorrow, um, and we'll get it out so you guys can take a look at yeah, it. Yeah, I think but we yeah, retweeted so, it at some point. Yeah, we might have retweeted it in the in the moment, but we'll. We'll throw it back up there for you guys so you can check it out. But, yeah, I mean, so that's obviously something that is going to happen with redshirt freshman quarterbacks. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily an excuse not to try to throw the ball more because the only way he learns is getting that stuff on film and going into the, the room, you know. So I'm sure he's seen that play a bunch this week. Um, but, you know, when you pull him out of the Michigan game after only nine attempts – um, you know, he gets pulled against Kentucky. He doesn't have much tape to look at and learn from. So, you know, it's it's tough for me to put it all on Felipe missing guys when you have a guy, Mac, who when he came to Florida said his dog Clarabelle could play quarterback. Um, and that clearly has not been the case in his tenure here. So um, I'm starting to think it's more a coaching issue than it is a personnel issue. You look at the players that we have and – we have playmakers, you know, Tony, Cleveland, uh, Davis, P. Ryan. You know, there's guys that, you know, put them on any other team. They're they're probably putting up some way better numbers than they're putting up on on uh, the Gators. So I don't know what needs to change from a coaching standpoint, but something has to. Clock management still an issue. You know, at the end of the game, I don't even remember what I said because I'd had a few too many refreshments, but I said something about clock management and the girl in front, like three rows around, turned around and was like, yeah, that guy's dead on. So, you know, fans are noticing it, and max got to do something to fix it. You know, luckily, we got a game here coming up against an A&M squad that played Bama close, so a chance for redemption, but something's yeah, I don't know if Yeah, uh, I don't know if most people in Gator Nation are viewing it as a – as a lucky thing to be matched up with A&M next, but um, it'll certainly be a test. And yeah, if you're able to pass the test, it, it, you know, we could be in a slightly different mood next week, but yeah, the clock management thing was at the end, um, you know, kind of misuse of timeouts and then deciding that get like giving the ball back and thinking that not that we gave the ball back cause we went for it on fourth down, but um Right. Like thinking that we're going to be able to get another possession or something, which I think is what kind of right was was he not using the timeouts after he made tackles on their last possession? Yeah, I can't I it? can't quite remember, something. but it was, there was definitely I think it had more to do with on the possession prior, like not mm-hmm. not thinking through, like okay, if you know if we we're getting the ball deep in our own territory, if we're not able to go down and score on this drive. Are we leaving ourselves enough time yeah. to surrender the ball, get a stop, and get it back? Um, and it seems like they thought that they could do that because at the end, all of a sudden, they're using mm-hmm. timeouts, and it's like you could look about the clock and do the math, and it's like we're not getting the ball back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think I think another issue I had, I have like the play-by-play up in front of me, is on the last drive. You know, it's third and three, and we threw two passes to Brandon Powell, um, and. You know, we, we didn't have a terrible night rushing the ball. So third and three, with the way we've been running it, you know, I am I feel like we got to, you know, on th- third down or fourth down, dial up a run play or something, you know, get give it to Tony. Um, I don't know. I just, 
very questionable decisions yeah, made. Here's what's concerning from my point staff. of view. You touched on that, you know, Felipe only had what was it, eighteen attempts or sixteen attempts or yeah, so 16. so we didn't yeah, throw the ball at all. 16. And, you know, that that can kind of be a separate discussion of throughout the course of the game that maybe we need to be, you know, giving ourselves more chances in the passing game. But when you look at the LSU game in isolation, mm-hmm. what's, again, odd and sort of is it's making you wonder what the hell is going on in terms of the thought process and the decision making is, OK, we didn't throw the ball all game. We didn't throw it all game. <laughs> We, right, but the game on, game yeah, on the line, we're, we're trying we're, to throw it. The only way we moved the ball successfully, put ourselves into scoring position, was with the rushing attack, combination of Michael P. Ryan and Malik Davis, and to a certain extent, Kadarius Tony. And then when it's... Yeah. And that had been working, especially, obviously, in the second half, because we scored all of our touchdowns in the second half. So we had been rushing on them, yeah. not... I mean, we ran four... Four straight rushes. Right, with, it wasn't uh, at with it wasn't at will. To get the last. We touchdown. weren't running on him at will, <laughs> but we were right. having a lot more success rushing the ball than we were passing. Granted, we weren't trying to pass so much, but the the rushing game was yeah. there. The yards were there to be had, and especially when you're only down a point late in the game, you get the ball back. It's not like we had to hit a big play for a touchdown. We just had to, in the two minutes or so that we had with timeouts get ourselves far enough down the field to at least give Eddie a chance to win the game. And like you said, all of a sudden we decide it's time to pass the ball when we haven't been trusting Felipe all game. We haven't been letting him develop a rhythm. Um, And then it's it's like, oh, uh, Felipe, go win us the game. You know, we're buried in our own end of the field and we're going to ask you to drop back and sit in the pocket and read defenses with the game on the line rather, rather than give the ball to the guys who have actually been getting us yards all night. So, that's what's concerning to me is it's not. Yeah. I think there's a different argument to be had about what we want our offensive identity to be big picture. But in that moment, just like looking at that game in isolation. Right. Why do we all of a sudden start passing the ball there? Um, that's concerning to me. Yeah. And, yeah, I agree with that. Like looking at it from a kind of compounding on the issues we've seen throughout the rest of the season on, um, you know, just kind of the offensive decisions or coaching decisions that have been made in that situation. You have Malik Davis who had gone 14 attempts for 90 yards. So he's averaging, you know, 6.4 yards a carry. You have P Ryan who went 12 attempts for 70 yards. So he's averaging around 5.8 yards per carry. And then Tony who went 52 yards on six carries, you know, 8.6 yards. And we need three. And you got three guys that are rushing the ball, all averaging well over three yards a carry. You know, what What gives? It kind of goes back to the adjustments when we see lack of adjustments being made in, in prior games and things like that. So, you know, it's, it's frustrating. Yeah, and to, to kind of look at the other sideline, the other team, um, an LSU team that, again, had lost to Troy, shorthanded or not, that's, you know, you should be able to LSU should be able to beat Troy with their second string in the game. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I understand there's more parity in college yeah. football now, et cetera, exactly. et cetera. But there's a reason those guys are playing football at Troy and not at LSU anywhere on the depth chart. Um, so this right. LSU team comes in led by Ed Orgeron, who has an abysmal track record as a head coach, um, and with a new offensive coordinator in Matt Canada, and all of a sudden, um, you know miraculously one of the coaches in the Florida LSU game seemed to have scouted the other team and devised a game plan to exploit the other team's weaknesses. And unfortunately for us, it was not any of the coaches on the Gator staff. It was Matt Canada who that whole first half, when they got that early lead, their entire offense was based on jet sweeps, which if you had told me, going into the game, that LSU was going to run, I don't even know exactly how many jet sweeps they ran, but it was at least six jet sweeps in the first half. Um, I would be like, okay, that's good. Yeah. That's a sign of a desperate uh, offense, in my opinion. Um, any Division One uh, defense worth its salt, you know, you might get me once on a jet sweep when I'm not prepared for it, but once you, once you know right. it's once coming. Or, once or um, twice. But 
we got burned on it multiple times. And all that was was Matt Canada watching the film and seeing that, oh, the Florida Gator defense can't set an edge. They can't keep contained. Um, yeah. There, I don't know. Right. And we've been saying we've been saying they need to be better at that since week. Yeah, what? after the Michigan game. After the Michigan um, game, basically. And it's, he every saw week. that okay, <laughs> they play this this conservative four three. Um, they try to keep everything in front of them, but that means they don't put enough guys in the box, and they're and they're the four down that they have aren't good mm-hmm. at setting an edge. So we'll just run jet sweeps and get them going east west, and we'll find the edge and turn up field and at least be able to get eight nine yards per carry. Um, and so, yeah. It's not like it was rocket science, but Mad Canada watched the film, diagnosed a weakness, and came up with a way to exploit it. Now, we got better at it in by the second half, but the damage had been done. We were we were down early, and we dug ourselves a hole that our You're down. Yep. shitty offense, pardon my language, couldn't get us out of. Um, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. where was that from Doug Nussmeyer? Where was that from Jim McElwain? It seems like we just show up every week and... We just do the same things we've been trying to do unsuccessfully. Um, yeah, there's no in-game adjustments. Right. There's nothing past the first couple of scripted drives. When you when you watch um, the film, it's just on, like banging your head. When you the watch wall. the film on LSU Troy and you see Troy running all over LSU with with inferior athletes, how do you not take basically every drop back pass play out of your playbook? How is yeah. every single play not either get, just giving the ball to Malik Davis or Michael Pirine right. or Wildcat with Kadarius Tony, or some kind of play yeah. action um, using the yeah. run to set up play action? Um, it's just it's getting to the point where you, you try for a while to, to give coaches the benefit of the doubt to say that there's no way they could have gotten to the University of Florida in the position that they're in without knowing what they're doing. But I'm starting to just be convinced that they don't know what in God's name they're doing. Um, yeah, and I think it, you know, it goes back to when we were saying, you know, what is our offensive identity, and should we even be running a pro style offense? It's gotten to the point where you have Will Muschamp and Mac now just trying to shove pro style offense down the Florida Gators' throat. It's like this is the offense you need to be running, and I just don't think we have the personnel for we it. We don't. It's um, very evident that we don't. If you want to run that kind of offense, so, Alabama doesn't even run that kind of offense anymore. Right. And like, they have so, the personnel to do know, it. If you can't line up and be basically better at every position than the other team and be able to physically dominate them at the point of attack, you can't run that kind of offense. Right. You have to get creative. You have to come up with ways exactly. to get playmakers in space, not just ask Malik Davis to run behind an average offensive line and, and yeah. you know, run, quote-unquote, pro-style ball between the tackles, and somehow he still makes it work sometimes because he's just an incredible runner, but it's not a sustainable approach. Yeah, and good coaches, you know, take a look, and they adjust their offense to the players that they have, and I don't think Mac has done that since he's been at Florida. He's like, well, this is what we want to do, and once we get our players in, we'll be able to do it. And it's like, you're not even getting the players in that you need to be able to run this. So, you know you got to figure it out. I mean, Urban Meyer was the spread guy, came in. He, But then he came in and, and inherited Chris Leak as his quarterback. He still made it work. You know, He had some spread elements but played to Chris Leak's strength. It was a passing quarterback. Right. So, and we've obviously you, you know, you, you gotta, we've shown a willingness to incorporate spread concepts and wildcat concepts into our offense, but it's like right. we'll only dip our toe. And yet those are the things that seem to be succeeding the most often. So I just don't understand why there's like this out of principle, we won't stray too far off the path of our quote-unquote pro-style offense because that's what we ultimately want to be when we have the personnel. I'm like, that's fine. Then when you get the personnel, then shift back to that and you can phase out the more spread components. (laughs) But right now you have to win football games with the team that you have and they have yeah. proven over the course of two and a half years that they can't run the offense that you want to run right now. You've incor- you've yeah. you've bent a little bit and incorporated some spread concepts, but you get away from them so fast, even when they work. Again, you point to Tony not getting mm-hmm. enough touches. He gets six touches all game. Why in God's name does he not have six touches in a row out of the Wildcat? 
Why do we not script right. an entire drive to be run out of the Wildcat and say, we're going to run this at the end of the first quarter, no matter what, Kadarius yeah. Tony's going in, and he's running seven plays until the defense stops him. Right. Until they stop it. Exactly. Like, you know, if he's getting, if he's getting over, all you need is three yards of carry, and you're going to get a first down all, if you go for it on every down, right? So if he's getting over three yards of carry, you keep running that. You keep running the wildcat until they stop it, and he no longer gets the yards. Yeah, it's just, it's it's not that you know. At, and at this point, it's like just try that and see if it works. You're already going three and out, so what's the harm in running an entire series in the wildcat? Yeah. You go three and out. You're doing what your offense is doing. Anyway. I, I've said this before, um, maybe not on the podcast, but it's concerning to me when I go to the swamp for all these home games this season, and I hear game plans coming from just average Joes in the crowd that sound infinitely better than what the coaches are putting on the field. And I understand that it's easier to just say it than it is to implement it. And there's, there's logistical limitations to implementing certain schemes when you only have, you know, pretty much Tuesday through Thursday to prepare for the next week's game. But, um, you know, you're also getting paid a bajillion dollars to coach football. I think you can look, you could give Kadarius Tony four plays out of the wildcat. Two of them can just be straight up runs, whether it's he's running or handing off to right. Mike Davis, and two of them could be could and be RPOs. And you you teach him yeah. to run those four plays like the back of his hand, and and yeah. you just run <laughs> run him out there with the Wildcat personnel, and you run seven plays in a row, and it could be the same four plays alternated, right, right. in whatever order. It's yeah, exactly the the lack of creativity, the the lack of urgency to make a change to to find something that works and sticks with and to stick with it um to play with any kind of max not allowed to talk about tempo anymore in press conferences as far as i'm concerned it's it's beyond lip service at this point (laughs) it's like it's insulting um to to continue to talk about it mac you know we're not playing with tempo after after half of a quarter everyone in the stadium can see it if it's that much of an issue why are you not in nuss's ear Set, telling him you have seven seconds to get the play in after the ball is set, and if you don't, then I'm doing. Yeah, it. and I mean it's also it's also concerning that you hear players saying that that is an issue with getting the calls to the headset into the huddle and then at the line. Yeah, you know that was something that came out after the game. Frank said, "Oh well, it takes a long time to get the calls into the headset, and then uh, you know we got to get in the huddle and then." By the time we get up to the line, we're having to snap it within five seconds. So, yeah, if Nuss isn't getting it done, then... Every other team in the country has the exact same setup. Right, exactly. So, so yeah, it's it's inexplicable. Um, the last thing I'll say, again, just to kind of point to, I, I feel like an average Joe in the stands can come up with better better schemes than what um, we're getting from the, the millionaire coaches. Can anyone explain to me why on fourth down you have to get it to to have a chance to win the game with a inexperienced quarterback who has proven that he is not capable of getting through progressions, particularly under duress. Mm-hmm. Why is your go-to on a fourth and short, even if you're going to pass the ball? Okay, that's fine. I get it. Fourth and short, you don't necessarily want to run the ball. You want to you know, have more options. Passing game gives you a few more options. Yeah. Why do you drop Felipe back in the pocket and maybe it wasn't coached this way, but it seems like it was because even when Del Rio ran the play, he didn't escape the pocket by design. He escaped the pocket out of necessity. Right. Why do you drop him back and ask him to do what he's shown time and again that he's really not well prepared to do, which is read the defense, find the open guy, make the right throw? Yeah. Why do you not Felipe Franks, who could cover three yards with one step? Right. It should be he's a rollout, motherfucker. Why do you not roll him out? Yeah. You roll him roll out, him out to, the, to the open side of the field. Yep. And you, um, or if you're in the middle, you can pretty much roll either way. Right. Roll you, him out. You, roll, you get at least three receivers running his direction who can adjust their routes as needed. Exactly. All past the and, first down marker with a lead blocker who's the running back who, if need be, can shed and turn around for an easy dump if none of the three receivers are open. You know, any forward pass is probably going to get three yards. So you right. roll him out with a lead blocker in front. That guy blocks. If there's no one open, he kind of like keeps holding his block until the defense gets close to him. Then quick runs, turns. Felipe waits till the guy's on him, makes a throw as he's getting hit to the wide open running back who just shed his block. 
Right. It's, it's if, not if that the hard. Point, if the point is to maximize your chances of converting the first down and have the most options, how you don't roll him out there when you know that he can move a little bit, and quite honestly, at three yards, if he just falls forward and reaches the ball out, he's probably covering three yards yeah. at six foot six. Again, just inexplicable. It's um, something that was immediately apparent to me, and I have never coached a game of football a day in my life. I've never played beyond the ankle bridle level. So, right. um, yeah, it's it's just concerning. But let's go ahead and move on. We'll we'll do our high five, low five, no five, which means we're going to have to try to find some uh, positives to, to touch on. And I'm sure most of our time will be spent on the no fives. So um, we'll get right into it before we move on to other things. Uh, I'll go ahead and go first. Um, maybe maybe the lone outside of the Tom Petty tribute, kind of the lone um, feel good performance of the day uh, for number twenty three Chauncey Gardner. Um, yeah. He gets he gets my high five. A guy who had had kind of a rough start to the year was uh, catching a lot of flack. Um, you could tell it was kind of getting to him a little bit. He's a verbal guy, so he wasn't just kind of taking it with his head down. He was, he was tweeting and he was making comments and interviews and this and that. Um, but got to give him credit where credit's due. He went out and uh, kind of backed up his talk a little bit. Mm-hmm. Led the team in tackles. Um, he had, I believe, twelve total tackles, seven solo, one yeah. and a half, one and a half tackles for loss. Um, for a guy who had been getting ripped on specifically for his tackling all season, that's uh, a pretty good turnaround and a pretty good showing, and we, we hope it's indicative of things to come for him because, um, you know, if, if the defense can if the defense can fix some of their problems um, and, and perform a little bit more like the Gator defenses of, of the recent past, I don't think we'll ever get – I don't think this is going to be a top-10 defense by any stretch, but if they can be – a top yeah, 30 top, defense. Top 30 would be um, pretty good. Yeah, we're, we're more like top 50 right now, but all indications are that the offense is uh, not not going to do us any favors anytime soon. So the more help we can get from our defense, the better. Yeah. Um, low five, I'll give it to Malik Davis. 14 attempts for 90 yards. That's over six yards per carry. Um, no touchdowns, but he was kind of our between-the-20s guy. Yep. Um, he, he got us moving, in a scoring position a lot. Set up, uh, set up, kind of teed it up for P. Ryan to punch it in on multiple occasions. Yep. Um, so, and he continues to be probably the most consistent offensive player. I mean, P. Ryan's been consistent as well. His role is mm-hmm. a little different. Um, but those guys continue to perform. Um, maybe that's also a little bit of a hat tip to the offensive line. Maybe their run blocking has been better. Yeah. Um, but the offensive line does seem to be gelling. Um, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of cliche to use the whole you know lightning and thunder analogy when talking about running backs, but that's really what they are. You know, Malik Davis yeah. is the lightning guy. You know, he's the guy that's going to rip off big chunks, um, and P Ryan's the guy that you know you give it to him on the goal line, and he's he's probably getting it. You know, I mean, yep. three yards. If you need three yards, hand it off to him twice. He might get it <laughs> for sure. And then uh, No. Five, a uh, guy whose name we surprisingly haven't said all year. He's—I don't know if he's kind of been flying under the radar on the staff this year, but there's uh, tons of No. Fives to go around for virtually the entire staff. But I'll just go ahead and pick on Mr. Greg Nord today. Um, the tight ends and the special teams have not only were not only non-existent against LSU, but they've been non-existent this entire season. Yeah, um, I saw that our longest punt return on the year is for seven yards. Um, I can't remember. <laughs> I mean, I, there's that one Tyree Cleveland kick return that was big. What was I think that might have been against Tennessee. Yeah. Um, but almost every return is a touchback or a fair catch. Yeah. Um, we basically just send Brandon Powell out there and tell him to fair catch it, uh, no matter yeah. where he's at. Or catch it for um, minus one yards, like you right. Did against, and uh, and then the tight ends have pretty much been. You know, outside of Moral Stevens making two catches um, against Vandy, non-existent, and they're just bodies out there who are non-options for the quarterback, which I think is at this point probably hindering the offense. Just having yeah. them out there, I think we'd be, we'd be better off just sending more wideouts out there and actually having them run routes and just give up the blockers. But right, um, this will be something that we touch on as we discuss the state of the program a little later on, but. Um, Greg Nord, you're in charge of tight ends and special teams, and you should pretty much just be ashamed of yourself. 
Uh, you have yeah. two you have two position groups that you're in charge of, and you can't even get one of them to not. I'm not even asking that they be elite. They're both god awful. Um, yeah. You can't. How how can you be a coach at the University of Florida, and you have literally two positions on the field that you have to focus on, and you can't get one of them to be okay. Yeah, you can't get one of them to be middle of the road. And Nord is also non-existent on the recruiting front as well. So, like, it's one thing if you have a coach that maybe isn't a great game day coach, but is an ace recruiter. Nord is neither of those things. I'm confused as to why he's getting a salary at this point. Yeah. So that wraps it up for me. Hit us with yours, yeah. and then uh, we'll we'll truck along. Yeah, those are those are good picks. Um, for me, you know, P Ryan again, another multi touchdown game on the ground so he gets my high five uh like i said i think he averaged around 5.8 yards a carry the two touchdowns um he seems to be our kind of red zone running back which you know is with how bad our red zone offense was in the past and not that it's great uh this year but he's definitely a guy that if we need to punch it in we can give it to him and, and he does so you know that's five touchdowns in two games for him um Solid, solid guy. He's only a sophomore, so I definitely like our future with him and Davis as, like I said earlier, the, the lightning and the thunder. Um, low five, I'm going to give a shout-out to a guy that probably should have been getting shout-outs earlier in the year. He's definitely in contention for the, what is it, Ray Guy Award, best punter in the nation, right? Ray Guy, yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Townsend just, I mean, he just flips the field for us completely. Um, five punts for 246 yards. That's an average of 49.2 yards a punt. He had a long 61. I mean, he's just booming punts down the field, almost to the point where we don't have the gunners that we used to have. So his net probably isn't that great. Um, but it's definitely good to have a weapon like him with how inept our offense is. You know, if we get stuck in our own zone, he's putting the team back, you know, back in their own zone with, with his punts. So. Yeah, and um, it's a shame that we don't have a team that can can reward him more for what truly has been the most storied career of a punter that I can remember. Um, yeah, the guys on the guys on tickets, for God's sakes, he's. Ooh. You find me another college program where um, the punter is a fan favorite and is is one of the faciest guys on the team, one of the most recognizable personalities on the team. Um, it's a shame that we haven't been able to to give Johnny Townsend more in return for his effort. Yeah, I mean the good news for him is he'll uh, he'll make some decent money playing on Sundays. Yeah, nothing like getting paid a couple million bucks to kick balls. Right. Yeah, I'd I'd take a punting job in the NFL in a heartbeat. Um, and then my no five, I'm just kind of fed up at this point. So I'm not blaming the coordinators, not blaming players anymore. Like, falls squarely on Mac's shoulders you know okay so yeah. before you get going okay i feel like this where you're about to take this is gonna be perfect for shirtless and spike and spurrier all right because you're gonna be spiking it this week That's and true. we had already kind of talked about rather than using that that segment as just a a good cop bad cop on the matchup with texas a&m we'll yeah. take about 10 minutes to do Kind of just the general state of the program as we're sort of at the midpoint of the year. Um, right. So why don't you go ahead and you can basically max get max get your max getting your no five and you can take that right into your your spike and spurrier take on the current state of Gator football under Max yeah. leadership. Yeah. So I mean, it, it is kind of a cumulative no five for him anyway. So it, it does kind of roll right into my Spike and Spurrier take. Um, I mean, you're an offensive – like, at this point, I'd almost think it would be better if we had just stuck with Muschamp, <laughs> as, like, terrible as that is to say. Muschamp and Roper probably would have gotten it figured out. Right? You know, Muschamp the, – the issue Muschamp had is he had three different offensive coordinators over four years. Um, right, before he – by his words, found the right one, which is why Kurt Roper is now his offensive coordinator at South Carolina. Right. So Mac has had the same offensive coordinator for three years, and his offenses are worse than the ragtag, you know, d- held with duct tape together 
offenses that we had under Muschamp, who you know everyone had to learn different offenses every year. And Muschamp and Roper in only year two at South Carolina, where they have much less talent than they probably would have had had they remained at Florida, are sitting pretty in the catbird seat to um, beat us when we go to Columbia in a couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, let me pull up the total offense, uh, offensive stats here. I mean, I'm sure South Carolina is not up there, but they might be ranked higher than us in total offense, um, which would be upsetting bad. to say the least. Yeah, so let me just do a quick, and it's it's great because I have only have to go to page three, and there we are sitting at 102. The offensive juggernaut that is Kentucky sitting uh, ahead of us. Um, yeah. And there's no USC South Carolina below us. Oh, no, never mind. They're 106. So they do still have a worse offense than us. But the, the point remains is Muschamp's a defensive guy. So you expect him not to have great offenses. And he went through a lot of different coordinators. And they're still um, playing with a pretty empty cupboard up in South Carolina. Yeah, they're they're not playing with a ton of talent. I don't think you can make the argument that Florida does not have talent on the roster. Tyree Cleveland would be starting at pretty much every other SEC school. We don't have a 100%. national championship roster, but we have a roster that is damn sure good enough to be better than three and two. Top. And we have a top 15 roster. And, easily. and better and better than losing to LSU and, and scraping by against Tennessee, Kentucky, Kentucky and quite Vanderbilt. honestly Vanderbilt for most of the game. Yeah, I mean, I would argue that our, our weapons and our personnel are probably similar to Georgia, who's ranked, what, number five in the nation, number three in the nation right now? Yeah, they're up there. They're up there. I, you know, I wouldn't say that our personnel is much different than what Georgia has right now. Um, and they don't even have their starting quarterback that they entered the season with. They have a f- true freshman in Jake Fromm who's lighting it up. We have a redshirt freshman in Philippe Franks who's been with the program for almost two years at this point. So, you know, I don't think you can say it's a personnel issue anymore as much as it is a complete and utter failure from the coaching staff, Jim, the the buyout, Shark Humper, McElwain. <laughs> um, that's, you know, that's kind of where I'm going with him, nickname-wise, from now on. Like, he's Jim, the buyout, Shark Humper, McElwain. You know, get it fixed, man. It's year three. You know, this kind of stuff is fine in year one, maybe year two, but by year three, especially all the guys that are playing are his guys. So... He has the talent. They're playing. They're putting up numbers. They're not being put in a position to be successful. Yep. And um, and suspensions aside and all that kind of stuff, I mean, look, you, you lose Antonio Callaway, and now we're without Tyree Cleveland for the game against LSU. Um, you know, mm-hmm. no one is saying that they would have expected with all of that and, you know, going even as far back as losing Will Greer, how far back does that set you, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Nobody, and we talked about this when we came into this season, I don't think anybody expected a national championship or a college football playoff or even an SEC championship. I think people were, quite frankly, um, tickled that we even made the SEC championship two years in a row. Um, yeah. But what people did expect was after three years, the offense with with more talent, more playmakers – years under the same system, the same coaching, should have taken something that resembles a step forward. We should look functional. Um, But we look absolutely dysfunctional most of the time, and so much Mm -hmm. of it stems from coaching, which is where it really gets concerning. Because, look, when it's it's youth, when it's lack of talent, those are all things that you can identify as things to um, improve. And you can take tangible steps towards improving them in recruiting and in you know the development of your players. When we've got guys who have been here long enough that and are athletic and talented enough that they should be able to make plays by now, and you look around the country and guys that are the same age and similar talent level 
are making plays um, and producing good offense and, and not being in the, the bottom, uh, you know, being past the triple digits in terms of the total offensive rankings, um, yeah. that's when it really starts to get concerning. And somebody who, going into the year, as we touched on, was as bullish on Jim McElwain as anybody, has now been wrecked with doubt, as I have, um, that it, it's starting to get really concerning that what's concerning me is that I don't think he seems concerned enough. <laughs> and and right. concern is not being downtrodden in the press conference. It's not, it can be, but it, that has to be coupled with some sort of decisive action towards change. But it seems like Mac is convinced that everything as it is right now is is really close to being fixed, <laughs> and he just needs to, you yeah. know, have a talk with Doug about, hey, let's get the play in a little faster, or let's let's show Felipe right. that play one more time on film, and and be proud of what you put on film, and he'll get it the next time. It's no man, there is stuff seriously wrong with this team, and it's not just Doug Nussmeyer. You yeah. look around this team right now. What are we good at? That's my question. We, do we have some good individual players who are basically performing right. in spite of what's going on around them? Yes, in Malik Davis, yeah. in Tyree Cleveland when he's healthy. We're, we're decent. We're decent at rushing. The sure, ball. and that's a recent. That's a recent development. Good. We're decent, but it's a recent development, and that also is a new coach that we just brought on, Juwan Sider, who is arguably one of the better recruiters in yeah. the country. Um, you know, it seems to me the the problem areas of this football team are the holdovers from Max initial staff Nord Nussmeyer um you know Randy Shannon to an extent uh, the linebackers have looked good when they're playing but there's a severe lack of depth there um and I don't think we're being aggressive enough on defense from a blitz blitzing perspective right well. and it took us an entire so, half to I get that you make your major adjustments at halftime, but you're telling me after quarter one yeah. he couldn't have adjusted to the, the jet sweeps and said, hey, um, we're going right. nickel and, and we're going to have a guy waiting out there or, or you know, to, to basically be spying the jet sweep and setting an edge. Um, so, yeah, Randy, and yeah, again, it's, it's this, this inability to diagnose what the needs of the team are. Randy Shannon's defense, the, his conservative, laid-back, bend-but-don't-break, don't-do-anything-too-crazy defense would be fine if we had an offense that we knew was going to go out there and put up 45 a game. But we can't even win when you only give up 17. So guess what, man? You need to be more aggressive. You need to create turnovers. You need (laughs) to get sacks. We need those things to be competitive. You look at the games earlier in the season, we we were getting points from our defense, and that kept us in games. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one, you know, one fumble recovery or one interception that gets us into field goal range, we win that game, you know, but it's a conservative calling on both sides of the the offense, and it comes back to, from a a program, say, Mac has shown that he's willing to make changes necessary by getting Cider and, 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 you know, getting those uh, new coaches that we brought in in the offseason, but Couple that with he's also unwilling to make a change at our biggest problem points too, so I, I don't understand. Like, is he is he the Mac that is willing to make changes and and get different guys in to do the right thing, or is he the Mac that you know won't take over play calling duties from Nussmeyer or fire him, <laughs> you know, fire him? Like, so it's and I think from a if you're looking at the state of a program. You know that's that's concerning because if he doesn't, then we're going to be looking for a new head football coach, and we're going to be starting back from yep. square one. Um, and and I bring it back to my point that we talked about earlier in the year when you know who is really even out there that we know is a better commodity than Mac. You know that's the other thing too is I don't know that there's a ton out there that we could get at Florida that is going to be a definite improvement, and we're going to be taking a flyer on a guy again. Um, because like it or not, the Florida brand is not what it once was because it has been close to 10 years now since we last won a national championship or have been relevant in 
the college football world outside of the SEC. Yep. So that's that's my spike yeah. and spur. And take. as <laughs> as was evident, uh, I was itching to jump in and contribute. Um, it's not it's not enough to just recruit the guys. Mac Mac identified a weakness in the program in the recruiting game, and he went out and he took decisive action to change that. And it's already paying dividends. We're top yeah. five in 2018 and in 2019. That's great. And I guess mm-hmm. if I'm given a shirtless Spurrier take on the state of the program, that's where you got to look. <laughs> that's <It's>, it. <laughs> it's, hey, yeah, we've got more talent coming in. Um, we've got Matt Corral coming in, fingers crossed. Make the sign of the cross, whatever yeah. you got to do um, to hope that he stays in this class. Um, guys like Damian Pierce, um, you know, we've got some beasts coming in. Copeland, right. Jamar Copeland. Chase. Um, yeah. Weapons abound, hopefully. Um, but it's not just enough to recruit them. When they get here, we've got to do something with them. Um, right. Because we have playmakers here. Exactly. And, not doing and if, anything it's, with them. if it's coaches who aren't able to get the most out of their players, that's a problem. If, if yeah. they're good positional coaches, but the schemes, the philosophies are not lining up and meshing with what what our abilities are that's a problem and at the end of the day all of it all of it is coaching all of it ultimately ends up on Mac's desk when you look at it as he's the chief executive of the football team um like you said it's it's another case of will the real Jim McElwain please stand up he identified a weakness in recruiting took immediate swift action to change it how can is he is he blind to it? Is it the bunker mentality where maybe behind closed doors he knows that um, there's major problems and that changes need to be made and he's just not indicating it publicly? But right. the worst case scenario is to assume that he really looks at what we're doing on offense, what the plan is, coupled with what we're doing on defense. Um, again, I think the defense could be fine in isolation if we're able to pair it with a stronger offense. But the combination of the right. two right now is bad. And is he looking at that? And not seeing something that drastically needs to be changed and needs to be changed as fast as possible. Um, that's that's what's concerning, and that would be kind of the the darkest place I could take it. And that if that is how he's viewing it, then I would uh, be very concerned for how much longer he has left at the helm. But yeah, if we're gonna give it some positive spin, the positive spin is. Well, all right, we're three and two. With as far as I'm concerned, expectations for the rest of the year have gone out the window. Um, say what you will about, um, you know, we could. The East is still there to be won. We if we win out, we'll we'll basically lock up the East. Um, I think that's yeah. a pipe dream at this point. Uh, this is already starting to sound like yeah. the most negative shirtless sprayer take ever. But the only kind of <laughs> solace I can give Gator Nation right now is. There's almost a, a calmness that comes with not having any expectations for the rest of the season. Right. And then there are the positive things going on in recruiting and in facilities that you hope can maybe, you know, turn McElwain into, a, you know, a, a Dabo-like guy where, look, Dabo struggled for a long time at Clemson right. before he kind of broke through. And, and maybe it is about he just needs to find that quarterback and he needs to find this and that, the guys who will – because he doesn't seem willing to change the system, he'll finally get the pieces that he can plug in mm-hmm. and and make the system be all that it can be. So that's kind of the only positive outlook I can offer right now. Wish I had more for you, but I don't. Yeah, I mean, that's I'll jump in kind of how you did with the, the spike in and, and give a little bit of what I'm optimistic about. Obviously, the recruiting classes, you know, that can still be something that we look really look forward to after this season. Also, you know, if he, you know, let's say we lose to A&M, but he beats Georgia and FSU um, and we go, you know, nine and three, eight and four, that's kind of right in line with what we predicted at the beginning of the year as kind of a nine and three, eight and four season. Obviously we tempered that with, you also have to show offensive improvement Um but FSU is definitely very beatable this year. Um, or even if we, you know, beat A&M and lose to Georgia, you, you know, and we have two SEC losses plus the Michigan loss, but we beat FSU with the recruiting classes we have c- coming in, that's still reason to be positive for, for the future Gator football. So 
it's, we're not down and out yet, but I think a big indicator. And we're at a crossroads. Right, a big indicator, and it kind of rolls into what we want to cover next is how do we respond against a, a very good Texas A&M team? Um, you know, LSU, they lost to Troy at home. We were all laughing at them. They come in, they beat us in our house. So yep. the good news is we got another game in the swamp. It's not an easy place to win no matter how bad of a team we are. So, um, and especially when you look at, you got an A&M team coming in. They had a very close, tough-fought game against Bama. You know, are they fully recovered from that? You know, that's, playing against Bama takes it out of you. Um, yeah. So if, if and they maybe they're in, maybe they're looking past Florida. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe they're even looking past us. Um, so uh, I think it's a good segue into this game coming up this uh, this week and what we got on deck. Um, yep. So I mean, should we should we talk the jerseys first? Should we just get that out of the way? <laughs> we got to make it brief. Ooh. I can't have any more jersey talk. It's been literally the only thing on Twitter. Um, I will say yeah. that I saw a picture earlier where it's like. Every different type of lighting I see these things in, it gives me a kind of a different feel. Um, the The initial release was terrible because they had it yeah. in like a dark, really dark, dark setting, and I don't think that did it any favors. When I saw yeah. it out in the sunlight in the swamp in that photo shoot with the live gator, looked a little bit better. And then I just saw one that was sort of in like a showroom type setting on like a mannequin, okay. I think. Yeah. Um, and there, it looked kind of cool. Um, the I didn't realize that the helmets only had that gator head on one side. They've got the numbers on the other side. It looks kind of cool. Oh, uh, that's cool. This picture, that it really showed the helmet having more of that green tone and not looking black. Um, mm. So, I don't know. I mean, I think... I like the idea. I like the concept of, of uh, you know, the whole 25th anniversary of the swamp and kind of embracing the swamp um, theme and going okay. full-on gator. But... Yeah. Um, it, you know, I don't know. The color scheme is weird, and it, but it is what it is. And I think anytime you do something different like that, it's going to ruffle feathers. Um, yeah, I, mean, I don't want it to be something we wear a ton. No, I think it's a one. I think it's a one-time thing. And I'm, you know, I love our orange and blues, and and we do a good job of kind of mixing it up with orange pants, blue tops, or you know, white with orange. Um, yeah, occasionally rocking the the white helmets. Yeah, occasionally the white helmets, but I don't mind this, you know, especially because recruits love it. It's something we can give recruits all new swag when they come in for their official visits for that game. Um, I don't mind it once a year thing, as long as it's not something where we're doing it, you know, three to four times a year, and all of a sudden it's, what are our jerseys, you know? Right. Um, but, yeah, moving on to the actual football, um, mostly stuff that we've already touched on. A&M played Bama tough. Um, and yeah. also blew a record, <laughs> record size lead to, uh, was it UCLA, UCLA in the first game yeah, of the year? It was like, what, 40, terrible. 42 points or something crazy. Something like that. Um, yeah. so which A&M are we going to get? I don't know. Yeah. I know that Kellen Mond is, is a really good athlete and he's a guy who can, he can throw the rock. Um, granted, you know, he's got more total numbers because he's been the starter every game for A&M, but on the flip side, his yards per attempt is lower than Felipe's now. I'm sure that wouldn't be the case if Felipe had thrown as many passes as Kellen Mond had, but, right. um, you know, he's not Superman, but he's a talented guy. Uh, you know, Texas A&M runs that air raid. Kevin Sumlin has always had good wide receivers, so they're going to have yeah. guys who can challenge our secondary. Um, yeah, but I think our secondary is one position like they've obviously gotten better every game they've played they have you know? um and i'm kind of um, curious to see uh, nick washington seems fairly seriously injured um yeah i'm, I'm pretty sure see, he's out uh, uh davis is stepping in may, right? who uh davis sean yeah davis. sean davis but also brad stewart might get some time our boy brad stewart yeah. that we saw pulling out of the winn dixie parking lot there you go. Uh, yeah, we did. Shout out to Brad Stewart. Uh, <laughs> Brad wish, Stewart I wish he was wearing a helmet on his scooter, but that's all right. Uh, the scooters are dangerous. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it'll be pretty much <laughs> we could be running four freshman DBs most of the game. Yeah. <laughs> you look, you know, Wilson, Henderson, you know, pretty much everybody but Duke. So, um, yeah. it'll be a good test for them. And that is a group that I kind of have some confidence in. You know, we, we ran a poll uh, a week or two ago. 
um, asking kind of the dynamic duos that people were excited about, and mm-hmm. one of them was C.J. Henderson and Marco Wilson. They unfortunately got the least amount of votes because everybody wants offense and went more the route of Felipe Franks, Tyree Cleveland, or Malik Davis, Michael Piran. Um, yeah. But, you know, those are all promising duos, all, all things, connections that have produced results for us this year. Um, we'd hope to get mm-hmm. Tyree back because it does seem like that's the one guy who – Felipe has kind of been able to develop a, a rapport with. Um, yeah, it's not looking promising for him, though. Yeah, high ankle sprains are a bitch. But, um, or, uh, or Tony, I believe, is dealing with a separated shoulder. So we're definitely down some talent yeah, for this down game weapons. Well, is, um, but, good. you know, which A&M team is it? I don't know. And we're, they're coming into the swamp. I, I still think, I think the, the energy in the swamp will be good. It's a night game. We'll night have those, game. Those wing walls will be lit up. Um, I think. Uh, wait, is this is this the first night game in the swamp? Yeah, the, it's night you know game? the three thirty games have seen the sun go down, but it's the first night game of yeah. the season with the wing walls. Um, so uh, I think it'll be a great yeah, atmosphere, and with the uniforms and with kind of the hype. Look, if you give the fans something to be excited about, we'll get real into it real quick. And quite frankly, we were pretty much into it for the entire LSU game, despite not being given shit to be excited about. Um, so, who knows? It could be a, a big redemption moment. Um, you know, not redemption because we still got two losses and it's not even November yet. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, it, it could, could stop the bleeding a little bit um, and kind of turn us in the right direction to make this a salvageable season where we don't feel like, you know, we need to light the whole thing on fire at the end, but I don't know. We've got right. to see. I mean, you'd like to think that after two weeks of getting your, um, well, not two weeks straight, but, um, after already have gotten two losses and, and after kind of being embarrassed by LSU that there's a yeah. fire lit under somebody's ass. Um, and that, with how much it's been talked about in the media and how much the coaching staff can't hide from it anymore, that they will have made some definitive changes in, in you know, not just talking about tempo but being about it and making sure we actually have it. Um, yeah. You know, I could see us uh, making a game out of it and possibly coming away with a win. But um, if I was a, if yeah. I'm a betting man, if I'm going to Vegas. Uh, which somehow we opened as favorites in this game, which doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. But um, <laughs> how is that at all possible? I don't know, but uh, maybe Vegas knows something we don't. But ho- hopefully yeah, they're right. Maybe. All right. Well, should we should we jump into predictions then for the the game? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not gonna pick the Gators to win. Wow. It might be, is that a first on the We Are the Boys podcast? Not picking the Gators. That is a first last, on the We Are the Boys last podcast. Last year we were not... we were pretty much homered out the whole time. Um, wow, you really have fallen off the wagon, the Jim McElwain wagon. I just think some, you know, it's kind of like what I said before, where when you relinquish your expectations, there's almost like this peace that comes over you. Um, look, mm-hmm. I just, I think Texas A&M has an offensive pulse. Um, and it's not like we're the dominant defense that we used to be. I don't, I don't say that to disparage our defense. It's just a fact of life when you have the turnover that we've had for so long and we are leaning on so many freshmen um, and we're playing a conservative style of ball that now our defense has finally taken that step back that we all warned about for years and the offense has known, shown no signs of progression. So I just, I just don't see how we win the points battle in terms of keeping them out of the end zone enough and, and being able to put up enough to uh, to come out with a W. So I'm picking against the Gators for the first time ever on the We Are The Boys podcast. Um, I'm going to uh, – I think we'll we'll hang. I mean, I think we'll, we'll be in it, but um, I don't even think we make it dramatic. I'm going to say we lose by 10. I'm going to go wow. 31-21 Texas A&M. Okay. Um, and uh, now, now make no mistake, I'll still be there cheering my ass off, and I will be the happiest person on planet Earth to be wrong. And if you know me, you know I don't like to be wrong. So I will be, <laughs> I will be wrong um, all day and all week, and I'll eat all the crow you want to make me eat if the Gators come out and get a W. But um, we've gotten to the all point right. where I can't pick them in good conscience. Wow. Okay, well... I'm going to hold you to that, eating eating the crow next week, because a lot of people say, you know, you make your biggest improvement as a football team between weeks one and two. Now, we didn't really get that opportunity because of uh, Hurricane Irma. So 
I'm thinking you make your biggest leap as a football team between week six and weeks nine. Hey. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Between week six and nine, you make your biggest leap as a football team. So uh, we, had a, we had a rough week six against LSU, but between week six and nine, you're making your biggest improvement as a football team. You know, you're flipping things around, making it work for you, and it's going to feel great. <laughs> so, <laughs> so nice. Uh, what we're going to do, what we're going to do, we're going to come in to the swamp. We're going to win 38-21 against A&M. Enough of this one-score BS we've been having. We're going to rest up week eight. And you know what we're going to do on uh, week nine? We're going to go to Jacksonville, and we're going to whip the doggies. Ew, doggy style. I'll save, I'll save, I'll save, right, right, we'll go in between week six and nine, we'll improve, and then doggy style on the dogs, week nine. Um, I'll give you the, the score when we do that podcast, but that's, uh, that's my prediction. I like it. Let's get out of here on that note. As always, we are the boys, and I'm saying it loud and clear this week, go Gators, beat the Aggies, prove me wrong, make me look stupid, I'll be happier than anybody else listening to this. Yep. Go Gators. We'll catch y'all next week.